Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The show is brought to you by our generous patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Robots Radio presents the Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast, a place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Hey, Vault Dwellers and Wastelanders and everybody else out there. This is your host, Tom or Robots, and this is a very special episode of the show. This week, you will not be getting a regular episode. Instead, you are going to be getting my thoughts on the Bethesda conference, including all the new Fallout news. So stick around for that. And what's also super cool about this is that I got to have a conversation with Jameson from the DL. The DL is the weekly gaming news podcast that I am excited to announce will be on Robots Radio from this point forward. So if you are into general gaming news and the stuff going on and you want to hear about uh, other opinions about different things going on in the conference, uh, the E3 conference this week and the stuff that's already gone on this weekend, then go check out the DL. They're available pretty much everywhere. I think any day now they're going to be available on iTunes, but everywhere else, Spotify, anywhere else you listen, you should be able to get a hold of the DL. So go check that out. Um, Jameson and Brenna do a, an awesome job. It's kind of an irreverent job <laughs> is, is the way we put it, but they've got a, a really nice perspective on the video game industry and stuff going on in games. So go check that out and then stick around after the, after the episode, after Jameson and I kind of go back and forth with our thoughts on the Bethesda conference for the regular end of show stuff where we're going to read through some of the reviews and ratings and talk about some of our new patrons. Also, you have one more week to get your votes in on the character that we build for our end of episode adventure thing that we're doing with patrons. So if you aren't a patron yet and you'd like to get in on that, you've got time to do that. And if you are a patron, then get back to the Patreon, patreon.com slash falloutlorecast, and you will see a, a question in there, a little poll with what type of character we should create. So uh, I'd love to get your votes and let me know. So I hope you guys enjoy the show, and I will talk to you again at the end of the episode. See ya. Welcome back from the break. Uh, Brenna had to leave because of a prior engagement, but joining to me today for the Bethesda portion of our episode, I have a special guest, the head of Robots Radio, creator and host of the shows, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, Fallout Lorecast. 
robot thoughts, sleepy time stories, myth, and more. Mr. Robot himself. Hello, robots. How you doing? Hey, good. I have breaking news. It seems that Brenna is engaged. Whoa. I just heard. You just said it. You said Brenna had a an engagement. She's engaged. Congratulations, Brenna. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. I actually, like... You're like, what? You know this? You're, you're dropping it now? The fact that that actually confused me for a second is a disappointment to myself. Oh, man. <laughs> also, also, I, I wanted to tell you first off at the beginning of the show that I am growing a forest. I am tending trees, so many dialogue trees. I'm so excited. All right. I'm forest growing now. Very cool. Very cool. I have no idea what any of that means, but I'm happy for you. Dialogue trees. Dialogue tree in Fallout 76. Oh. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, then uh, let's get started. So I got a little list here that we'll, uh, we'll work off of. We're going to save the bigger stuff uh, for the end, but we'll highlight on a couple of the little things. So overall, what was your general impression from the Bethesda conference? Just a general overview, no specifics. Um, yeah, my general sense of it is that they, uh, like, okay, so it's, it's hard to separate the fan view from the, like looking at it from a critical view and, you know, as a business decision and what, why Mm -hmm. did they use certain things? Right. But if I, if I put the fan stuff on hold and I just look at it from a business decision, it makes sense that they focused on community, that that was a big message that they wanted to really play into the community and the people who have stuck with them through the last year worth of ups and downs, that, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it makes sense to me because of, and I think I've experienced this a lot firsthand, having launched a fallout podcast at the beginning of this year, back in January and getting an extremely warm reception from the Twitterverse and from streaming. And then as people started to find the podcast and responses to the show and the fans that stuck with the game. And I know this is getting a little bit nitty gritty, but <laughs> it, 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 it kind of, it goes to the point of um, they're laying into the people who they know are the people who are still on their side, who want to see them succeed. The hardcore fans, the hardcore fans. And it makes sense that that is their audience. There, there are people who love them, and even though they mess up sometimes, they still love them. Even though the games are glitchy, they still love them, and they really, really want them to succeed. So they're going to be patient. They're going to wait for year two of a game and see how it comes out. And the proof is in the pudding with games like Elder Scrolls Online, which just hit something like 13.5 million players, not including free trials. I find that very surprising. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, they don't release WoW numbers anymore, but that's got to be bigger than WoW is at this point yeah wow has definitely been on a downturn and i never would have imagined that elder scrolls online had gotten that big because it was it was really bad from the start i played for maybe during the first year and Mm -hmm. i was bored and disappointed and i have not gone back since yeah i went through the same thing i played for about a month i got to like my level 30 or something on my main character out of 50 and just kind of floated away and played some other games because I was like, you know, I want to like this, but I don't really want to grind through all the content and play another version of World of Warcraft, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, about a year, a little year and a half ago, I, I kept seeing all these new updates and things and people talking about it. And I was like, yeah, I should just jump back in and see what it's like. And it's a completely different game. It is is 100% uh, shows that even though there are probably 
people inside any organization that shoot for maybe the wrong decisions in the eyes of the fans, things that are focused first on the bottom line and those kinds of things Mm -hmm. that you can clearly tell that once the developers are given rain to fix things, they listen to the fans and they start implementing the things that they're hearing or the things that they know deep down are like, we should have done this from the beginning. We told them, but they didn't listen. Um, And that's, that's what gives me hope. And that's what I saw in this conference in general was this sense of we, we know what you guys are telling us we're listening to you and you know sorry we don't have starfield this year just we're just going to be honest we don't have it it's not ready it'll come out when it's ready which i think is very good you know i i would rather have it out when it's ready than it out early and guess what we're listening to you and so we're going to keep delivering and fixing things and you know we're in it for the long the long haul and i think that that is is the most important news, whether anybody's, you know, I did, I made the mistake of jumping on Reddit <laughs> a few minutes before you and I got on. And that's always all the, a tough place. Yeah. It's always a tough place. And I looked at all the new posts in the E3, uh, expo or whatever subreddit. And of course there's all these people moaning and groaning about, Oh, Bethesda doesn't understand. I understand. And I, you know, I'm, I'm telling the, that attitude right now that you guys, they don't, they don't understand, you know, Oh, they didn't mm-hmm. come out with Starfield this year. Well, guess what? They would have you would have had a half-baked game and you would have complained about it. You would have spent your 60 bucks, gotten all excited, and then been like, Bethesda sucks. You know? Like, give it another year or two. Let it cook. Let it be ready. I don't know. That's my that's my two cents. Yeah, yeah. I will I completely agree. Um so let's go ahead and uh dive into into some of the games. So there is actually quite a few uh, indie games shown at Bethesda Studio, which I feel like is a little unusual. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I, I, you get the sense that they're expanding out into some of these other minor studios and really letting them start to kind of do what, their own things. Which I think is a, a good decision for them just based on some of their current series are just getting really old and their development cycle is very long. Mm-hmm. So it, it's nice for them to have something that fills the gap. Right, right. So we had a couple, a uh, couple little ones announced that looked pretty interesting. My friend Pedro, uh, the Messenger Picnic Panic, uh, Carrion, which looked like a very fun uh, take on like a horror platformer game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some more Enter the Gungeon coming. I know a lot of people love Enter the Gungeon, so it's really cool to see them bringing more DLC back to that. And then on top of all of that. We're getting a like a devolver bootleg like game collection, which will yeah. launch on all platforms. Yeah, and Devolver's great. I I'm I've got a number of their games and I'm I've been a fan. I think I, I feel like they uh shoot for a good quality level in the games that they put out. I, I completely agree. I'm a huge fan of their games and their they do have good quality and they're just a ton of fun to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a fan of that. And I think that that is definitely good news. I'm I was, I was a little upset to see uh, Bethesda still pounding the, uh, the mobile, the mobile tagline. So they're announced, they announced a new game for mobile commander keen. Mm-hmm. And then they're following up with more content for their elder scrolls blades game and elder scrolls legends game. Right. So can we go over those like one, one at a time? 
Oh yeah, really absolutely. Cool. Really cool. Absolutely. So Camino, cause my, this is my take on it. Commander Keen, uh, kudos to them for going back to the well, uh, the id well, the pre Wolfenstein mm-hmm. <laughs> id well, um, because that's kind of fun. Mobile game. Eh, they, you know, companies wouldn't be doing it if they weren't seeing profits from it. So it makes sense that they're going to put some attention to that. But the majority of the fans, what the fans want from Bethesda is not the same as what they want from that mobile game. Like those are two very different demographics, I think. Exactly. And that's just, it's, it's it's the same thing that Blizzard's running into that. I feel these companies want to drive mobile gaming because it's such a massive uh, player base and it's, you know, it's global. Anyone can play it. It's you don't need any specific device or anything. You just you have your phone and you can play. But I feel like what the fans see is that we are losing out on a game we want because they're spending resources on mobile gaming. So like, where's yeah, you know, like where's go on? (laughs) No worries. (laughs) So like, where's Elder Scrolls Six when we have? Then they're spending all this time on Blades and Legends. And people thought the same thing with Blizzard when they announced, you know, Diablo for mobile. Where's right. Diablo for? Which I think thing. is a little bit nearsighted. I, I think the people who are complaining um, about that don't understand the way these businesses work. Um, there's clearly a, a certain amount of budget that is put towards certain projects and certain things are bankrolled and funded by other projects. And one of the things that happens, so for example, the reason um, when you look at something like Fallout Shelter, it did amazingly well. They talked about some ridiculous number of downloads. And of those ridiculous number of downloads, some large percentage of those people actually ended up purchasing something. And some very small percentage of that are whales that purchased a ton of stuff. So they made way more money than they put into development for a mobile game because they're not that hard to develop. Mm-hmm. So what very... ends up happening is they take a little bit of resources out of the out of the whole pool and put that into the mobile game, which doesn't really make a dent even to begin with with the development time it takes to to push one of these bigger projects because they have so many moving parts. It's not really going to move the needle on that anyway. And then a few years later, they end up making so much more profit that they can then put back into these other projects. So you have to look at the big picture that like in actuality, the idea that a company like this can go after the mobile market, have success, make more money means that they're better. That's actually going to help them produce the games we want more. It doesn't take away. Yeah, I completely agree. And I feel like people underestimate the amount of uh, impact that mobile gaming has and the amount of mobile gamers that are out there. Just some statistics here uh, to give people an idea that uh, this is from 2017. So in 2017, two years ago, there was a record number of over 190 million mobile phone gamers in the world. Mm-hmm. And from that's that, more than the adult population of the United States. Yes. And from that number, um, 20, sorry, 2017, they grossed $60 billion for mobile gaming. And you got to remember that most of these mobile games are free. They don't cost anything to play. Right. And their development time is way less than the number of developers, the number of art assets, all of that stuff is so much smaller. They're so much easier to build it. 
it, it doesn't even compare to a, a Skyrim or a Starfield. It's yeah. they're not in the same area. I think the biggest problem here is a branding issue. If this game had not been announced at the conference and it instead been announced a week earlier and just said, Hey, remember that cool old id game? There's a mobile game coming out. And then they just yeah. didn't even say anything about it at the conference. Then the fans would be fine with it because they wouldn't feel like it was being sold to them. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's all about it. It's all about a timing issue. And you know, E3, yeah. E3, especially when you are considered to have one of the biggest conferences of the entire event, that time for, you know, mobile gaming and spending all that time on a, a whole presentation for them is a little much. I can understand if you want to show your game off because it's your time. You know, you want people to know that out there. But when you spend so much time on it, it some people just get the wrong the wrong feeling from it you know it just rubs them the wrong way yeah yeah i get it it's an emotional response but i i it doesn't concern me i think it's fine and any company is going to diversify their their holdings because uh, their product line because they need to that's just a smart business move Mm -hmm. um so i i think it's to be expected now i don't feel like that took away from anything else and with the number of announcements for the currently active games and the new games being re- released this year, I think that's totally fine. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, it definitely, definitely. It, it definitely was not dominating the show. So, well, let's move towards some of the the bigger stuff. Um, I was a little surprised to hear that Bethesda is getting into the game streaming uh, service yeah. with Orion. So, okay, so this is one of those things that harkens back to the id of the 1990s and john carmack and the fact that um they were innovators in the game space and especially the first person shooter space because they developed the tech to make it work and then they were innovators in innovators in the uh online gaming space with quake because they developed mm-hmm. the tech to reduce the latency enough for it to work. And it was all about the tech of the company. And that's what was exciting about id for that first decade or so. Um, and then things kind of, kind of changed. They had this kind of rough period after 2000. And then now they've been acquired by Bethesda a number of years ago. And things are being focused on the creative. So that's the id we know now, the new Doom, the new Wolfensteins. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a callback to id's roots, their their technical prowess, and the idea that if they can put this technology into their games that are popular, then that will just help their games get in the hands of more people. So it's smart. Again, it's a diversification of product, but it's it makes a lot of sense, and it harkens back to who the the company was in its roots. I agree that it's smart and it and it's good that they're they're going back to their roots. Uh, or what, sorry, what I meant to say is it it makes sense for them to do it, and I agree with them going back to their roots. But I don't necessarily think that it's smart because they've, like you said, they've stepped away from working on the hardware aspect for so long that I gotta imagine that them putting together this team was extremely costly because the, they have none of these. <laughs> none of these resources are already there. Whereas all these other companies that are invested in this, you know, Xbox, uh, steam, PlayStation, you know, they all have the resources to make and build hardware. Whether or not they do it well is debatable. Well, I think it's mostly a software thing. And if we, we can't forget that, um, up until, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, the id engine was competitive with the unreal engine 
and the the engines of the 360 era mm -hmm. and it was it was being marketed and sold and so that was a, a source of income from them and i can it, it can totally make sense to me from a perspective of okay we're almost on the cusp of a new console generation and engines have changed you have a variety of new options that you can use and companies like epic are making money hand over fist with Fortnite that they can put back into their engine development and all that kind of stuff so it makes again it's one of those business things where i think it makes sense from a business perspective to say okay we want to still be able to develop software in the realm of game engines but we know that we can't compete here where can we compete and then you find this niche and you go, oh, we could make this better. And then we can license that technology out to the people who make the game engines and then make a buck off of every game engine that's sold. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Yeah, so long-term play with it. I I think so too, and I think that licensing it out as well to the streaming services will also yeah. rent give them uh, a few bucks. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, impact it has on the future. Because the message from this E3 is next gen and streaming. So right, they're playing right into that. So we'll see how how it plays out for them in yeah the and future. we can't forget that these developers often get specs for new consoles years ahead of time than, than they release for for everyone else oh so yeah they see the trend coming they see that sony and microsoft are going okay we need to be streaming stuff and then it, it makes sense that their engineers are going okay well how can how can we play in the space well if we yeah. did this Okay, and we're and now we're seeing all that with them announcing, oh, everything's coming to next gen or everything's coming to streaming, even though that it's you know a year and a half away. Right, they're, they're all prepping. They're prepping to compete that. in that space and be the first to it. So it makes sense. Yep, yep. All right, and then so moving along, uh, before we get to your bread and butter, we're going to uh, talk <laughs> about uh, Wolfenstein Youngblood, the latest and upcoming game in the Wolfenstein franchise. Yeah, what you, is your feeling about the Wolfenstein franchise over the last few releases? I I enjoy the Wolfenstein franchise. I I am very happy with its reboots, but I feel like they are doing a little too much that I'm getting too much Wolfenstein and it's losing its uh its appeal. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I haven't personally played much of the more recent releases. Um I've, I, I actually picked up, what was the small, okay. Two releases ago, they had Wolfenstein new order. Was that the one? Yes. And then they had that little expansion that was like, went back to like castle Wolfenstein or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I played through that. I actually, I got that on sale on steam or something and played through it. And I was like, well, this is fun. The shooting's fun. 
you know, the mechanics are fun. It's Wolfenstein. Um, and I like the universe and I like what they're doing creatively with it, but I haven't bought into it enough to really commit to playing through the games. Yeah. And that's, and, that's kind of, yeah, where Sorry, I am. that's kind of right where I'm at as well is that it's, it's a little bit too much of the same thing. And even though I enjoy the story and I enjoy Wolfenstein for what it is, I would like to see more. And I think they're, they've kind of picked that up from the community and they're trying to do something to shake it up. And in this case, they are making Wolfenstein co-op. I'm pretty sure Youngblood is the first Mm -hmm. co-op Wolfenstein game. Yeah, I think so. Or at least modern one. I think there might've been some, no, no, even going back to the ones in the early mid two thousands. Yeah, I think it, it probably is. So I think this is a a great step for the series and you know, who doesn't love co-op being able to sit down and play a game with your friends is the best. Yeah. I think that's very smart. Um, from a storyline aspect, I, I probably would be happy watching somebody stream through this game just to catch the story progression. But if it gets good reviews and I had a friend who was like, Hey man, let's pick it up and play it. I have a feeling I would be tempted to do it. If I knew that person wanted to, you know, commit to getting through the whole game together. So that's that's exactly my thought process as well. I haven't played uh, any of the recent ones either. Not since um, New Order as well. But, you know, this is kind of game where it's got my interest. Would I would I purchase it? No. But again, if I have that buddy that's like, hey, man, I'm playing this. It's a lot of fun. I need Mm -hmm. a I need a battle buddy. Then I might be I might be swayed if there's a good sale to uh, get into that. Right. Now, from the creative space, I think it's it's very cool to be doing this alternate history thing that they've been doing. It's kind of neat to be moving forward in time against the 1980s to yes. have two female protagonists, I think, is super cool. Um, with these like power suits and stuff that they're they're using, uh, you know, I think that uh, aesthetically it looks really good. So I think it has a lot going for it. I'm, I'm hoping it gets, you know, even better reviews than the more recent ones that they, they just keep on getting better with it. Then I, I would totally be okay with that. <laughs> like, I don't want any of these games to fail, of course, but exactly. I know, completely it, it justifies its place in the world. I think that's great. I completely agree. And I look forward to seeing uh, how it looks when it comes out in July of this year, right around yeah, the corner. That's like so soon too. I know. All right. I know you've been on the edge of your seat. So uh, rage two. Oh, we're not talking about my trees yet. Okay, no, Rage, Rage, 2. Rage 2 DLC, Insanity Rules. What did you, yeah. uh, what did you think? Uh, this, I actually picked up Rage 2 and played through it. And you can tell the Doom DNA in the battle, in the combat. Um, there was a, con- a campaign comment to my wife who was sitting next to me as we watched through the, the conference. And I said, well, one of the great things that's about the Doom engine is everything feels so solid. Mm-hmm. Everything has weight and everything reacts to your bullets everything like i don't know there's just something about the environment that it feels tangible and there's something about that in id games in general traditionally was that there was this this heft to everything and the combat in rage 2 feels a lot like that as well the storylines meh you know hit or miss but i think they have the seeds of something that continue can continue to grow and some of the cool things that they're going to be adding into it especially if they double down on the combat and that stuff i I, you know, I think that's that's where they need to go. That's the strength of the series. I de- so. I definitely agree that they they do draw the best elements from Doom, and that the combat is what is good. I do feel like though that for what they designed the game to be, 
they do need to put a little bit more work into their stories because that seems to be the general feedback from the community is that the game just it it doesn't feel like it's uh, it grabs you story wise and it feels like some of the quests are just uh, a little too repetitive for a game that does mm-hmm. try and differentiate itself from doom as having a story whereas doom's just all about killing demons yeah i also feel like they're going for kind of a similarity to borderlands kind of world and vibe yeah and the, the reason that works in borderlands is because it's over the top ridiculous but then it's over the top dramatic and it goes back and forth um if rage 2 really wants to do that they need to it looks like they're presenting it as over the top ridiculous but they need to make that feel that way in game exactly exactly i i would be all for that you know like if they have this crazy mech thing but the mech thing has it looks really funny you know like or the new enemies are really weird like yeah give me that that sounds cool i'm i'm down with that yeah I completely agree. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, No release date yet on that DLC, but uh, we know it's coming at least. Mm -hmm. And so then moving right along, Elder Scrolls Online, Elsevier? Elsevier? Elsewhere. Elsewhere. (laughs) Elsevier? S-we-warmer? Yeah, elsewhere. It's a funny spelling for a very normal sounding word. But we got dragons, though. Yes, and that just released uh, console this last week and um it was a few weeks prior to that it released on pc so uh we've been playing it it's a lot of fun it's really cool to see uh dragons flying around in an mmo that are like, a imagine. Boss. like that's really cool the dragons are actually very difficult if you don't have several dozen people all coming to help fight then you're not going to stand a chance it, they can kill you in one hit even when you're max level and geared out um so they do feel substantial which is really cool uh from a lore aspect because that's kind of my bread and butter um it's really neat to finally get to dive into the basically the the country of the khajiit and uh, the cat people and um everything from the architecture to the different types of cat people uh is very spot on with the lore so that's really cool um and then the storyline i have only played through i don't know maybe the first 30 or 40 percent of the main storyline and done a bunch of the side quests mm-hmm. but um even the dungeons uh, this is one of those things where the designers have been working on this game for five years and they keep getting better at it they're they're making more interesting dungeons they're making more interesting boss fights even the end game content is getting more interesting even the uh the weapons the end game weapon combinations that you can use are more interesting um and the necromancer class is really cool because it uh one of the things about elder scrolls online that a lot of people don't realize because they come from wow is that every single class you play can tank dps or heal yeah there's not like a healing class and then a tank class and then everyone else does dps there's nothing like that so even with a necromancer like in the video they showed where uh, they're fighting the dragon in the little like cinematic mm-hmm. the necromancer guy comes up and he gets attacked by the dragon and then he busts out of this thing as this big stone like this i was not stone this bone golem and that is one of the ults that you have if you go down the tank line of uh traits for for your character so you can be in a dungeon with a group doing like a trial and be tanking as this big gigantic bone golem thing and it's just it's really cool so i, I do have to sorry, oh, sorry. you can finish your thought i was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> say i think they are they are hitting that stuff um very well and have been listening to the fan base for a long time uh 
my one concern with where that game is going is at some point they're going to run out of uh, land in Tamriel. They're not there yet. They're probably a few years away. But um, every time they release a new expansion, they, they pick another zone in the continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know what they're going to do with that once they run out of space, if they're going to start revamping the story in some of the other zones again or how that's going to work. But yeah, they definitely the have a, yeah, they definitely have like a uh, a boundary on what they can do. Um, yeah, whereas and, WoW just keeps making more islands. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I do I do agree that is one of the strengths of Elder Scrolls Online when I played it is that it it did give you more choices when it come when it came to how you wanted to play your character that you weren't just locked into, you know, Oh, if I play a paladin, I'm your, you know, tank healer. Or if I play, you know, berserker, I am your DPS. You know, I can wield a great sword and I can be, you know, a tank. I can wield a great sword and I can be a DPS. I can wield a great sword and I can be a mage if I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. You can build a stamina mage class that uses two handed weapons and uses stamina for your spells. And so I, I really appreciate that kind of variety when it comes to an MMO. The fact that I can, you know, choose to do whatever I want or how I want. So I appreciate that with the Elder Scrolls Online games. Uh, more importantly, though, when I am in the land of the Khajiit, how many of them ask me uh, if I have coin for their wares? <laughs> I haven't heard anybody ask for coin yet. I'm actually oh. quite disappointed by that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, so what's really cool about the lore behind this is that um, outside of their homeland, they have to make a living by being traders. And and they're, they're known for this like stereotype of being like, you know, the kind of sketchy <laughs> uh, asking for coin for their wares. Uh, but when you're actually in elsewhere, you can see like the vast diversity of different types of Khajiits and jobs and things like that. Um, so I don't, I can't remember a specific line of anybody I've come across where they said like coin for your wares. Do you, um, do you think that they just, the Khajiit send all the sketchy people out of their country to be traders? So then they keep all the nice, you know, normal people in. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe those people don't feel like they belong. So they leave on purpose because their traders are sketchy. You know, you walk outside of your house and there's a Khajiit sitting outside in Skyrim and he's, you know, he's mm-hmm. wanting to sell you something. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But uh, I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that Elder Scrolls Online is headed in the right direction. Whether or not I get back into it is, is up for debate, but uh, I'm glad that the game is at least recovered. Well, if you own a copy, you can just jump back in and play some of the um, the main areas. There's, I mean, there's tons of stuff. So if ever you want to just jump in, let me know. I can, I'll show you around. I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. And all right. Yeah. You'll be surprised at how different it feels. I imagine. So I know you've been dying for your, your dialogue trees. So uh, <laughs> let's talk about Fallout 76. Yes. Okay. So um, I have a feeling... I have a feeling. No, that's not how the song goes. That's um, how the song goes. Oh, this is how the song goes. But it, uh, tonight, it's not about tonight. I have a feeling about the fallout. I have a feeling that um, <laughs> the dialogue trees are going to be like, yay, everyone's going to be like, finally. And I kind of predicted this. I probably even said it on my podcast a uh, number of months ago. I was like, you know what? If they're smart, they're going to announce dialogue trees and it's going to come out later this year or beginning of next year. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing they've been holding in their pocket this whole time. And it may have even been planned early on. They just wanted to put more of the effort into some of the other gameplay stuff rather than building out the dialogue trees. 
um, initially. So I feel like that that was down the pipeline anyway. And uh, I'm sure they have some really creative ways to work that into the universe and multiplayer and all that. So I'm very much, excuse me, <laughs> looking forward to that. Um, and the, uh, the, di- the dialogue is what has really made, you know, Elder Scrolls and Fallout such great series. So it seems like it's something that they should have, you know, prioritized a little bit more from the beginning, I think. Yeah, you think they they could have done that. I have a feeling the game was rushed out, so they had to make a whole bunch of hard decisions. And it probably came down to we can either do dialogue trees and not release, or we can make sure that there's enough here for that for it to at least work. Um, it may have been one of those kinds of decisions. It was, yeah, the, the history behind the development of the game is it's not quite on par with Anthem, but it's, it's not very good. They've, there's been some articles that have come out, uh, in the last few months, uh, mostly from Kotaku talking mm-hmm. about the behind the scenes development. And it was, it sounded pretty, pretty terrible. Uh, and which was reflected in, uh, fall 76's launch. Right. So now they're having to, you know, kind of repair their relationship and their trust with the community. And I don't think, uh, you know, the dialogue trees is great, but why do we need Battle Royale in Fallout Yeah, that's 76? the other question. Um, and, and I've been generally positive on this stuff. And I think that that is a, it's again, a response to trends in the marketplace. Um, I don't know how much that took development from other things to put in there. Um, but if you look at it from the perspective of this is a game that is meant to last for the next 10 or five to 10 years, and it's just going to get more and more updates and they've already committed to those updates being free. And they've, I feel like this last group of updates that they've made have gained back a lot of trust that people have really taken to them. Mm-hmm. And they're addressing a lot of the things in the game that people don't like. They're adding things in the game that people wanted. Uh, you know, I'm I'm being optimistic here, but I feel like even if I never touch the battle royale stuff, the optimistic perspective is if that gets people into the game who are going to pay thirty bucks on sale to pick it up to try it out, mm-hmm. then that's good because again, it helps keep funding the game, and it, it's kind of a long term play. Yeah, I can understand, you know, the trends in the marketplace wanting to attract the attention of the people. But, you know, like you said, they've worked so hard to, you know, rebuild the trust of their hardcore fans and bring them back to the game and give them what they want. And to me, I feel like this adding Battle Royale is a a step back on that. I understand the reasoning of wanting to bring more those other people that maybe got scared off Mm -hmm. back into the game. But you run the risk here, too, of upsetting the hardcore fans again. Right. So, okay. so some more thoughts on that. I think the people who consider themselves the hardcore fans who are already turned off are not coming back no matter what you do. I think those people are. are gone. One of the things I mentioned to my wife, my parents are visiting and and they actually sat through and watched the conference with us. Um, (laughs) And I was trying to explain a little bit about what, what they were seeing as, as we were sitting there. And Mm -hmm. I tried to explain to them that like the community in fallout 76 is awesome. And my theory for that is that because there was so much negative press at the beginning, it drove off all the jerks, all the, all the malcontents are not playing the game. And the people who are left are optimistic. They're probably more mature. They're a little bit older and they're willing to wait it out 
and see how it goes because they've got a longer view of life, you know, in the world and those kinds of things. They have more patience. And um, that's the sense that I have for this as well is even if they put the battle royale stuff in, we're not going to really get that grumpy crowd to come back. They're not going to come back. And maybe they're big fans of Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 and maybe Fallout 3 and Fallout 4. And mm-hmm. But 76 is never going to be their thing. And that's totally fine. Now, I think that there's this third demographic who's not like the, the optimists who are still playing or the grumpy people out there. It's the younger gamer who doesn't know what a Fallout is. Fallout 4 came out when they before they knew how to drive a car. Mm-hmm. or even had the opportunity, you know, before they were even out of middle school or something. Which, which is a scary thought thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Fallout 4, it's been, it's been years now. Um, and there are people, and I know this from my podcast, that jumped into Fallout 4 that didn't have an opportunity to get into 3 or New Vegas and are asking questions about 3 and New Vegas the way some of us were about Fallout 1 and 2 when Fallout 3 came out. Mm-hmm. because that's how much time has passed again. And I think that there is the opportunity in something like a battle Royale to bring in that demographic, the younger gamer and get them involved in the world as an introductory. And then they start doing some of the quests and stuff too. And they start going, wow, this, this world is really interesting. What is going on here? And then they start diving more into the the depth of the game. Um, and the only reason, the only reason I really think that there's uh a chance for this is because of a lesson I learned when Fortnite was announcing that they were going to do a battle Royale. And if you go back in time, you remember Fortnite was doing a whole different other game. Oh yeah. And, I remember. Um, and then, uh, what was the other, what was the original one that did really well? Uh, battle, uh, crap in the desert. PUBG, PUBG, PUBG mm-hmm. was killing it. it. was just growing ridiculously. Everybody was streaming it on Twitch. And then, um, Fortnite puts out this announcement and even names PUBG and says, we're big fans of PUBG. So we're going to do this type of game too. And the press all groaned and they were like, Oh my God, what are they doing there? This is going to be terrible. But that, that generation, like my, my son turned nine kids, his age all the way through high school are super into that game type. That's Mm -hmm. what they talk about. They all talk about Fortnite. Now they're all talking about apex legends. this is what they do this is this is games to them right now so you know again it makes sense i i don't know if i will play it i might try it out it might be a lot of fun but if it's not i think that it actually is investing in the long-term life of these games and i think that that's something that we need to understand as gamers is that games like this don't just come out we play them for a month and then they end up on our shelf yeah no these these are living games that they're these are living games and the dynamic is different. The development is different. Everything is different. And we're kind of in this new space and we need to change our expectations in order to really get the most out of it. Or otherwise, we're just going to end up missing things because we, we drop judgments and then we're too stubborn to change our minds. And yep. you just miss out on good stuff. That's, not, that's stealing from yourself. Yep, yep. And so, uh, I'm getting off my soapbox now. I'm putting it back. <laughs> well, and you, uh, when you were talking there, you, uh, you reminded me of one of my favorite soapboxes that I was going to touch on really fast because uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I can, you know, preach for hours about this. But like you said, you know, these kinds of games, they're targeting this younger generation of gamers, but uh, they're, they're almost doing it in kind of a, you know, predatorial fashion with these, you know, in-game currencies that kids want to buy. And, you know, they spend, you know, 
billions of dollars. I mean, Fortnite made three billion dollars last year and the average age of their gamer is like 15. Right. Which is. But it's a lot of parents who are buying Christmas presents and birthday presents, too. So that's true. That's true. But it's one thing to be the 16 year old who has your first job and now you're spending all your money on that because that's what you want. But then again, if you're enjoying it, then don't you have the right to do that? If you oh, feel yeah. like it's valuable, a valuable way to spend, I'm sorry about the dogs barking in the background, but the valuable <laughs> way to spend your money, then, I mean, I mean, it's one thing if you know, if it's the 10 year old who steals their parents' credit card and now, you know, yeah. that sucks. It's another thing as a parent to be like, well, I don't know to get my kid. My kid loves this game. I could just pay another 20, 30 bucks, get them a battle pass and they're going to be ecstatic about it. You know, yeah. like my, mm. my concern is that, uh, it's going to create this generation of gamers that are willing to pay massive amounts of money for extra things. Whereas most of the older gamers are like, you know, with when it comes to like Battlefront, for example, is like, oh, I have to buy loot boxes just so I can, you know, play the game like competitively at a decent level. And we. Right. Right. That's, like the pay to win. that's the pay to win argument of you know, if it's if it's cosmetics then yeah it's okay if it's yeah. pay to win then oh god we don't want it i don't mind if it's i don't mind if it doesn't affect the gameplay my just concern is that it will condition kids to you know eventually just continue yeah, yeah not care if they can spend the money but yeah uh, I, don't, I don't know i guess the i guess we'll have to just wait and see because exactly I, I don't know how that plays out Exactly. As long as as long as you are not affecting the gameplay, I don't care what you do. That's that's it. So I think in, in my experience, because I was playing Heroes of the Storm for a while and mm-hmm. it, it went down the same path of cosmetics. You pay money for cosmetics. And um, there are a few times that like for my birthday or something, I would just put my gift card blizzard money into some loot boxes just to open yep. up some more cool packs of stuff. Um, and you know, I got some different fun things out of it. it was it worth 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 bucks. Probably not, but it was fun at the time. And it also funds development, a game that's yeah. constantly growing and changing over time. So I think ultimately in the long run, it, there's more positives than there are negatives when you look at it at that scope, but yeah. you're right. Like the bigger scope of what are we conditioning children to do? That's a much bigger question. I, I don't know how that plays out. And, you know, I, I, I say all this and I do I do honestly believe it. But then, like you said, you know, I've also spent, you know, plenty of money on games that I've enjoyed that are free to play. You know, I played League of Legends for a number of years. I haven't mm-hmm. played in a little while just because the community is so toxic. But right. But at the uh, time, you probably felt very justified in supporting something you were enjoying. Oh, wholeheartedly. Just, I like, probably, just yeah. like somebody putting money you know, into a Patreon for a podcast. You know, you're getting this thing for free. At some point you go, you know, I really do. I really do love this thing. I want, yeah. I want to make sure they can do more of it. So, yeah, I'll, I'll buy the I'll subscribe or I'll I'll buy the loot box in order to throw them another dollar or two and just say, hey, good job. You know, just it's like tipping a, a good exactly. waiter, you know, exactly. I, although I'm very scared in the 2000 hours of League of Legends that I've played over the last, you know, number of years. I'm very scared to go and look and see how much money I've actually spent in that game because <laughs> it, it's probably it's probably a very high number that I would not be comfortable looking at. Yeah, yeah. No, I have a friend who put probably a th- over a thousand dollars into World of Warcraft. I'm um, actually uh, became addicted to it 
broke oh, wow. the CD at one point. This was when the CD was required to play the game, like, you know, oh, 15 wow. years ago or whatever. Tried to break the addiction, got back in, bought multiple copies, had multiple tunes on multiple accounts, and has gone through that cycle many times and then still buys things in game and still like one of the whales. And there that is, is a- something about the addictive properties of that and playing off of that that is just super dark. Yeah, that um, is a cause for concern. And we'll, we're probably going to have a whole episode where we talk about that at one point just because it's becoming such a uh, big facet of gaming. But after that long tangent, let's uh, <laughs> let's circle back to the last two games in the Bethesda conference and probably the biggest. Uh, what's the word out of left field? Uh, the biggest uh, mm-hmm. unknowns. Uh, so the first one we got shown was Ghostwire Tokyo. Yes. And I didn't even know they had a studio over. I don't even, that studio was not, I'm not familiar with that studio. I'm not familiar with Tango Gameworks either. I know, I know they are an established studio with, uh, with some high quality games. I couldn't tell you what they are. Yeah. I'm not very familiar with them and I didn't know that they're associated with Bethesda. Yeah. But uh, that trailer though, it certainly has my attention what the game is going to be about. I have no clue, but I'm right. interested. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I think it's an interesting premise. It plays off of this thing in video games where you respawn, but mm-hmm. there's this like some sort of sci-fi reasoning for why you're there. Oh, you're, you're thinking, oh, of, I'm talking you're about the, thinking other of the other one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Ghost, Ghostwire yeah, yeah, was yeah. The, the Thanos game where everyone just disappears. Right. Yes. Yes. So uh, it had, yeah, very beautiful graphics. I got a very like Inception kind of vibe to it. I, you know, it had a lot of supernatural elements. There was people with some, you know, magical Mm -hmm. powers and Mm -hmm. very, very trippy. Uh, Very long fingers. Very long fingers. Yeah. I mean, it. (laughs) And like samurai in the rain type ninja dude. Exactly. It's Japan. If I didn't see samurai, if I didn't see some super creepy, questionable characters, uh, it wouldn't be a game from Japan. Totally. So I'm very curious to see what we'll see in the future for Ghostwire. But my imagining is that we probably won't hear about it until E3 next year. And then even yeah. then, who knows what we will see on it. Yeah, I have a feeling that that's probably true. I, I do like the way that it took Japanese studios a while to pivot and figure out what worked in, an, in a Western audience again. Mm-hmm. But I do like some of the things that they've been doing more recently, just in general. Uh, I think that there's prob- probably the developer community over there started to get it and share notes. And um, so I'm excited to see what they can do, especially because it is not going to feel like a Western game. Yeah. We need more Western games. Well, and I think there's been a couple of games just in the last couple of years from Japan that have really paved the way to make people more accepting to uh, those kind of more obscure titles. And I'm talking like from software and totally, their yeah. Dark Souls series. And, you know, we're getting, uh, you know, Phantom Pain really brought uh, Konami and Kojima back to light. And now Kojima is right. hitting us with Death Stranding, which is, you know, definitely not a, you know, Western style game by any stretch of the imagination. But yet people are so into it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about the tone of Japanese games when they do the creepy, dark stuff that feels foreign and there's this it doesn't feel like a dark creepy western game it feels like something else and and i enjoy that i enjoy being able to feel like i'm in a place 
experiencing something where I can't predict what kind of, you know, oh, it's a werewolf again, you know, yeah. like, no, even if it's werewolves, it's more than just that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Western games do tend to be very predictable, but the foreign nature of games from other countries, you know, there's that level of unpredictability. And to me, that also brings a certain level of excitement. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy that. So I'm very curious to see what the future of that game will be whenever we hear about it next. And then as you were uh, starting to talk about uh, Deathloop, which again, we a reveal, but we have no idea when we'll see anything about that. Right. So this is the game that my dad is 65 years old and he doesn't really play games very much. He has an appreciation for games, but Mm -hmm. he'll, he'll interact with them at a distance and then he'll get really addicted for a little while in a specific game and then he'll stop playing for a number of years. Um, but he, after watching the trailer on that, it was as if we just watched a trailer for a really interesting movie premise. Mm-hmm. And he looks over at me and goes, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on there. <laughs> you know? And yeah. I was like, I was like, yeah, that it makes sense. It plays in with the whole video game respawning thing. Are they in the same time loop? Does, if one of them wins, do they come back into the other's time loop or do they both start over? Like, why are they in a time loop? What kind I know. of thing is going on? Um, and again, we it 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 seeing watching that back to back with Ghostwire, I was like, you know, again, we're getting some very Inception-y elements. You know, one minute he's in a town that's kind of got a we happy few vibe, and he's you yeah. know killing people who fireworks explode out of their head when they die, and then the next <laughs> right. minute he's in a desert with a satellite crashed. Yeah, um, I think my guess is that that's the that's the meta that's going on that's yeah. the like he's exploring this environment and that's somehow affecting the consciousness or the reality of the people on that island or whatever that is and then when you're there in the game world or whatever this is that's when the other stuff is going on yeah and there's definitely some supernatural elements going on with their you know death cycles and as far as some of the abilities that the two of them have yeah but, and uh, and this is another good i mean being two Caucasian males, but this is an, another good place in um, Bethesda's games where they, they don't have a white male protagonist. They, you know, this is diversity and it's really nice. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really, you know, think about that when I watched it, but yeah, I definitely noticed it now when you pointed out, I mean, when it comes to, when it comes to games and movies and whatnot, I have no issues with diversity, with, you know, the variation of roles, with gender blending. I don't have any issues with any of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you're when you're going out of your way to do it or it's conflicting with material that's already there is when I have a problem. Right. The best, yeah, that, that can get weird. Thing, you're creating yeah. a new story. It doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl. It doesn't matter exactly. if, what his, you know, what ethnicity they are or where their culture is from. You know, you're just going, okay, this is the person and this is another person and they are in this situation. And I think that's, that's great. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, it makes sense. We have to be a little bit more intentional so that, you know, the majority of the game developers are still white dudes that they just yes. don't default to putting themselves in the games and saying, well, it's another white dude. Um, but it is nice to see that on some level be intentional. It is weird to kind of go back and retro actively change things from the past. That's weird in some ways. Yeah. I mean, like I, the- I agree with that. The example that like always jumps to my mind whenever I think about that kind of like forced, uh, you know, adaptation, I guess, is, you know, when you're watching like when I've read a book 
and then they make a movie out of the book. But they decide that, you know, the main character is going to be different than in the book. That's when I have issues like that. Or like the classic example is Avatar, the last airbender movie, you know, Mm -hmm. when, you know, you already have, you know, the material there. Don't go and change it no matter what, you know, how it's, you know, written, even if it's not the most diverse. That's just how it was created. People like it. People have already built up these thoughts and these images and these attachments to characters in their minds. So don't change that. But like you said, on a completely new project towards more or less diversity. Exactly. Just just let it be. (laughs) Do whatever you want. And I have to say, you know, it's I like that games are giving more options, uh, specifically like cyberpunk that you have. You know, it's kind of got the Mass Effect look that you can go either or you can mm-hmm. be a female commander shepherd or male and i've right. got to say for cyberpunk female character that they showed us last year heck of a lot more badass than the guy we got to see this year oh yeah yeah totally not into this dude but yeah definitely so uh yeah death loop looks really interesting and i do want to see more but again probably won't be until e3 next year yeah i have a feeling this was just the hey we're working on this thing mm-hmm. stay tuned mm-hmm. So uh, at the end of the Xbox conference, uh, Brennan and I, we both picked our favorite moment from the conference. So uh, from today's conferences, uh, both Xbox and Bethesda, what is your favorite announcement from each? Oh, man, Um, I have such a hard time picking favorites. Uh, Let's see. (laughs) What did they go over in things at Xbox? Oh, we had tons of stuff. We Uh, have refresh my memory a little bit. We got Halo Infinite. We have Elden Ring, which is a From Software George R. Martin collab. Yes. Okay, I think that's got to be it. That's that was, I, I like the dark. I've been I've played those From Software games since Demon Souls, and um, I haven't made it all the way through all of them, but mm-hmm. I got better and better as I played them. So, like, come Dark Souls three, I actually finished. Yeah, and, Dark Souls three was the first one that I finished too. Yeah, and the the creepy vibes and. There's just something about their worlds that they make. And, they, you know, and pairing with George R. R. Martin is probably not a bad thing. Uh, but the fact that this is feels spiritually in line with the Souls games in just kind of a different way. Well, and the big thing is, uh, is I, I haven't made the connection yet, but I have a feeling that this is the project that uh, Miyazaki was talking about several months ago when he gave an interview talking about the future of, you know, after Sekiro, talking about the future of his mm-hmm company that he wanted to create games that put more of an emphasis on the story first rather than the gameplay so i'm hoping that this will be his uh game like that bringing in such a you know amazing storyteller like george rr martin and giving us more depth to a soul style game would be you know game of the year without a doubt yeah, and one of the difficulties with the Dark Souls series is that the first game was very well contained. The lore explains itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you get two and three, and everything starts to become way harder to piece together. You can tell that they're just kind of just making it work as they went. Yeah, the lore is there. You have to go and find it and look for it, though. Right. And but even when you find it, it's it's it feel, Dark Souls 2 feels different than the first one. Dark Souls 3 feels more like the first one, but it's still different. And you're yeah. trying to like do these things really fit together? And it, it becomes very complex. Whereas I think by, by bringing in somebody like George R. R. Martin at the beginning of something like this, you could probably design a trilogy and have storylines mapped out from the beginning. 
yeah. the sense was they didn't do that with Dark Souls. They were just like, we have a story to tell for this one game. And then they're like, oh, that was successful. Let's do another. <laughs> yeah. And there was there was some games in between there and they changed, you know, we had Dark Souls one and two and then we had uh, what is it? Bloodborne. Bloodborne. And yeah. then we had three. And then now we have Sekiro. So I think it's just kind of he's just, you know, doing a setting and creating the game he wants. But I it's Elden Ring looks very bizarre. It looks hard to follow. But if it keeps up with that soul style of combat while bringing me more of a story that attaches me to the game more than just making me want to break something that I'm all in. Yeah. And if it, and it just looks weird, like yes. there's, it's got the just weird stuff and I'm a the way I of, of the that. way I described it is it's got that anime look. It's got those yeah. bizarre looking main characters, the weird armor, the weird hair. Yeah. The weird anime, like you come into a new, a new zone and- first time you come across you're like what is that <laughs> exactly. i don't know what that is i don't even know what's gonna do yeah that was nice. and that was my favorite too from the xbox and then from the bethesda conference what was your um i think the potential for where fallout 76 will go with adding storylines in um the fact that they are clearly showing a commitment to continued development and releasing free content um i think that even the map once you start including more NPCs, you could mm-hmm. change the map that, and they've been doing that. They've been changing some of the things in certain zones over time, uh, just to make edits and things. But you know, time can actually move forward if you continue to edit what's in the map, which is kind of cool. Plus, there's no reason they couldn't expand the map out into, you know, the east or the west or the north or the south, and add yeah. more places um, that have even more interesting things to go see. Uh, and that's part of the fun of those games is being in a space that feels like it pulls from real world stuff and mm-hmm. being able to explore it. And I'm, I'm a big explorer in games. I like to look around everything and experience everything that there is. I do too. So, so I look forward to that. I, I, I hope that even if that's not what these new expansions are that they mentioned here, that that just shows that they're continuing to iterate and build on that. That's one of the reasons why it's hard for me to go back to the other fallouts is because I feel like I've seen everything. Even if I didn't play yeah. through all the storylines, I've been to all the places. I know what is where I know what I'm going to come across. If I go on this in this part of the map, you know, like, yeah, I understand that. I want to, I want to go to a new place a lot of the time. And if that, if this helps lead towards that, or at least, or at least it makes an old place feel new, then that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I have to say that as far as uh, Fallout and Elder Scrolls Online go, I'm pretty I'm pretty out. Uh, You know, I will play Elder Scrolls six when and if they ever uh, release or show us that Uh, I do look forward to Starfield because I'm such a huge uh, sci fi person. So I know that E3 next year for me will be huge for Bethesda. As far as what I saw this year, I'm really interested in these uh, these bizarre outliers that they brought in Ghostwire mm-hmm. Tokyo and Deathloop. Those are those are the two that really grabbed my attention. Uh, Wolfenstein Youngblood, though, as far as a current game, is probably the one I will be interested in the most. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, if the other new weird games were more uh, we're going to be released soon I, I would have more interest in that but i feel like i just I, I guess maybe i i save myself the hype and just kind of go okay that looks cool yeah Wait. i 
I don't like, you know, I understand why they, why they do it, but, uh, I don't like it when they tell me about stuff that I'm going to have to wait years to find out, you know, I'm so ready for, for cyberpunk, but you know, back in 2013, when they showed me that first trailer, it's Mm -hmm. been, you know, it's been a long wait. And even, even just between last year, this year, and having to wait until April next year is a long time. And the tough part about showing any part of your game that early is it people build ideas, they build conceptions in their head, and it really raises the bar on what the players expect from you. So it's yeah. kind of a double-edged sword. Right, right. So Yeah, it's tricky. I don't know that there's any magic recipe for, for getting that right all the time. But no, and you can't. Yeah, you can't get it right all the time. You just have to make the best game that you can make the game that you would want to play and hope that other people want to play it as well. Right. right. So, well, that wraps up uh, Bethesda today. And we did Xbox earlier. Uh, It was a pleasure having you on the show. We're going to plug your uh, we'll plug some of your many shows uh, after this in a little uh, little clip. But uh, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks. This has been a lot of fun. And um, I hope you have a... Uh, are you staying the rest of the week? Or are you staying for just a little bit? What's your plan? We're, uh, we're going to be covering uh, again tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow we have the PC gaming show. We have Ubisoft and we have Square Enix. And then on Tuesday we have Nintendo. And so that will kind of wrap things up. We'll be releasing uh, a hot fix for each of those days covering those events. And then at the end of the week, we'll be doing our regular patch notes. And since pretty much everything will be dominated by E3, we'll just kind of, you know, go over some of our favorites. Maybe if there was something that slipped through the cracks that we found out about, or if there was any other ones that uh, any other announcements that were made after E3, we'll cover that. So cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, I look forward to it. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show and uh, good luck. Have fun out there, everybody. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Why don't we ask the newcomer? You support the news? So thank you again to Jameson for letting me guest on the show this week. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Please remember to go check them out. Subscribe on whatever podcatcher you use to the DL. And you can probably find them if you search the DL Robots Radio, maybe, or the DL Weekly Gaming News. That's probably the better way to do it. Um, All right. So let's move on to some of the stuff. I know this episode is going pretty long, but I need to call out two very important people. Josh D and Nicholas S are new patrons of the Fallout Lorecast. Thank you so much for your patronage. I really do appreciate it. Josh D is a tier three patron. Nicholas S is our first Fallout Lorecast tier four patron, which means Nicholas will be able to hang out with me and one of the other tier four patrons for the Elder Scrolls Lorecast at the end of the month on a uh, voice chat. So the three of us can get together and talk 
Fallout and Elder Scrolls and E3 and all sorts of other stuff, which is going to be super fun. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. Thank you so much to both of you. If you are interested in helping to support the show, then you can check out patreon.com slash falloutlorecast and take a look at all the different tiers and all the different benefits you get for subscribing on there. And... If you don't want to do that, then you're welcome to tell a friend about the show. That is the absolute best way to help us grow. Tell your friends, say, hey, go check out the show. I think it's awesome. And then there's the other thing you can do, which is, <laughs> I'm stumbling over my words, is to leave a review on iTunes, which is still the majority of where people find their podcasts. So this week, we've got some brand new reviews again. Again, more reviews. You guys are amazing me every week. I, I'm floored by how much how much support you guys give me, and I really do appreciate it. So let's get through these real quick. We've got Sir Sarge Dizzy, I think, from the U.S., who writes Awesome Show, five stars. Started listening to you about two months ago. Great insight and passion for the Fallout lore. This show keeps me intrigued with what you will go over next. Keep up the great work, and we uh, and want you to dive in on the mysterious stranger and his origin. Yeah, that'll be a great episode to get to at some point. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarge Dizzy. I really do appreciate that. Then we have Lord Marksman uh, from the U.S. who writes, Wow, five stars. The best place to find Fallout lore would recommend for any Fallout or Bethesda fan. Straight to the point. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. That is Even little, little sentences like that really do help people understand what they're going to get out of the show and at least give it a shot you know that's all that's all i can ask listen and if you like it then keep listening um (laughs) thank you thank you lord marksman then we have ninja iq from great britain who writes spot on i've played since fallout 3 and i'm currently playing 76 a lot this podcast covers the lore so well if you're interested in a specific topic, you can go straight for that, which is really useful. But each episode brings up info I had missed or overlooked and makes playing the game that much more interesting because of it. I've enjoyed every episode. Keep up the great work. Awesome. Thank you so much. That really does mean a lot. I, I do put a, a good amount of work into these. And the fact that you're enjoying every episode um, is, again, amazing. Thank you so much for that insight. Uh, then we have... Aiden Poole from the U.S. who writes, Best podcast for fans of the Fallout games. I am a huge fan of Oxhorn on YouTube, but wanted a good podcast for some additional lore of the series. I listened to a few different podcasts before I found the Fallout Lorecast. This has definitely been the most informative and entertaining podcast on the internet for the lore of Fallout. This is a fantastic resource. Well, thank you, Aiden. That really is man glowing reviews these these are amazing then we have um this one <laughs> this one's pretty cool uh sar sailor maybe is how you pronounce it from the u.s who writes i'm really bad at this <laughs> five stars uh so i'm the world's worst at trying to remember to do the whole reviewing thing so here goes this podcast is amazing it's well thought out and fills a vacancy in the Fallout fandom, giving us an in-depth look at the rich history surrounding the Fallout games. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. And you can't be the world's worst because you actually remember to do it. So I'm sure there are some people who are still like, oh, I should do that. Kind of like me and, um, you know, dealing with actual real mail in the mailbox. I don't ever, you guys ever want to do it? Like, I'll, I'll answer emails right away. But if I get mail in the mailbox, I'm like, meh, I'll get to it later. 
Then we have one more from Cryptex in the United States. And this is the probably my favorite review I've gotten yet. So thank you so much, Cryptex. This is so well stated. I even um, used this quote from you on the website when talking about the show, because I think this is such a good quote. So here it goes. War. War never changes. But. The way we learn about gaming lore and fictional wars certainly has. Robots has become the tour guide to the breadth and depth of my favorite fictional universe. He has the voice, tone, and energy that I can to oh man, and I mess it up, that I can listen to for hours at a time. I can't say enough good things about this production, and I highly recommend listening. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> I like that one. As a fan for more than a decade and thousands of hours into these games, not to mention reading as much as I could to learn more outside of the games, he still makes me think and wonder. Such a well-stated review. Thank you to everybody who left a review. Thank you to the new patrons. And thank you to everyone who just happens to mention this show to your friends or subscribes on Twitter and jumps on the Discord and chats with me about things. I really do appreciate all the interaction and all the support. Thank you guys so much. And I will see you next week with another regular episode. I believe we're diving into another vault. So I look forward to that. And until then, enjoy the nuclear wasteland, the nuclear winter because I got to play that for one round yesterday, got terribly destroyed, and am looking forward to trying again and not getting terribly destroyed. So, have a good time. I'll talk to you guys later. All right, see ya. Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park